I should have said greet four people, not 40. I'm just kidding. That's okay. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're glad you've chosen to worship here with us at Prairie View Christian Church. I would just second everything that Tom has said so far, everything that Joshua said. We're very grateful for him being here, very grateful for his son being here and helping us out during this time of transition. Uh, We're also very grateful for those of you who attended last Sunday, those who came to worship with us on Easter Sunday. It really was a joy to be here, and we really focused on the idea of what if the resurrection had never happened. And we talked about what that would say about God, what that would say about Jesus, and what that would say about us. If the resurrection didn't happen, then God is a lousy, lousy planner. If the resurrection didn't happen, then Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he, maybe he's just some overhyped, made-up legend that his followers fabricated. And what it would say about us is that we are still stuck in our sins, that we are hopeless, that our faith is in vain, that our preaching is in vain. But the beauty of Easter and the thing we talked about is the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. The resurrection did occur. And so God is not just some lousy planner. God knew exactly what he was doing, even as his son hung on a cross and died for us. Jesus is not just some liar. He's not just some lunatic. He's not just some made-up legend. He truly is Lord and King, and he is reigning to this very moment and will continue to reign into eternity. And our faith, it's not in vain. Our preaching is not in vain. Following Jesus is not just some fool's hope in this life. It is a legitimate hope, not only in this life, but a hope that lasts into eternity. And so that's what we celebrate on Easter Sunday. That's what we celebrated last week. But I would also encourage us not to just let Easter be the time that we celebrate that. I pray that the resurrection would be something that we celebrate every single day of every single week. Whether it's Easter, whether it's spring, whatever. It doesn't matter. But ultimately, we find our hope in the resurrection. And so we hope that whether you were here, whether you were somewhere else, whether you were visiting family or friends or whatever it is that you do on Easter, I pray that you had time to think about that and time to reflect on that. And I pray that you will continue to do that. Now, before we got to Easter last week, we were finishing up a sermon series called Direction, talking about the mission and vision and values of our church. And one of the things that we hit on that last week of that series was how one of our values is numerical and spiritual growth. And what we mean by that is that we want to see numerical growth in the sense that people who don't know Christ would come to know Christ. That people who currently do not know Jesus would come to know Jesus in part through things happening here at Prairie View Christian Church. That our church can be a tool in God's hand to bring people to Christ. We talked about spiritual growth in the sense that We definitely expect that those who follow Jesus, that those who have placed their faith in Christ, would be growing in him, would be becoming more like him, not just through their own abilities, not just through their own disciplines, not just through their own cold turkey, but through the power of the word working in them and the power of the Holy Spirit living in them. We expect that. We long for that. And I believe that that is God glorifying when a church is bringing people to know Christ and when people who already know Christ are growing in him. And that's why we value that. But this week we're starting a new sermon series, a short three-week series on the spiritual disciplines. 
And that leads nicely from that idea of spiritual growth, because spiritual disciplines is very much this idea of spiritual growth, of becoming more like Christ, of being pruned and transformed and purified to look more and more like Jesus every single day. But here's the thing, that word disciplines kind of has a negative connotation to it sometimes. When we hear the word discipline, we might be thinking of punishment. Discipline is something that you get when you do something wrong, you get caught, and so you have to suffer for it. You have to pay the consequences for it. And so you hear the word disciplines, and you're like, yeah, you know what, that doesn't sound all that appealing. That's not the most peppy sermon series in the world, now is it? Well, maybe you'll think of disciplines in that way, but maybe you think of spiritual disciplines and you picture some monk living out in the middle of nowhere, or you picture some crazy spiritual hermit living in a cave with a big beard, praying for 18 hours a day. And you think, you know what? That's just not really me. That's just not really my thing. I love God. I love Jesus. I want to be involved in the church. I want to grow in my faith in Christ. But that spiritual discipline lifestyle just doesn't really seem practical for someone like me. I have a family. I have a job. I have responsibilities. I have things pulling me in a ton of different directions. So although the spiritual discipline stuff, that sounds great for those who can do it, it's probably just not going to work for me. Well, I would encourage you over the next three weeks to reconsider that because there have been moments throughout church history where there's been some goofy spiritual disciplines. People have done some weird and bizarre stuff and called them spiritual disciplines when really they didn't contribute anything to spiritual growth. They were completely bizarre, completely off the wall. Those are not the things that we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about three big disciplines that I believe have a place in my life and they have a place in your life as well. And those three disciplines are study, fasting and prayer. Now, all three of these disciplines are solid. They're biblical. They've stood the test of time. Those who have come before us, those who have dedicated their lives to serving Christ, to promoting the gospel, they have built their spiritual growth on these things. They've stood the test of time when it comes to spiritual growth. And so we're going to focus on that first discipline today, that first discipline of study. So if you have a Bible with you, open up with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one of the Bibles we have underneath our chairs. If you don't own a Bible, grab one from the welcome desk and take that home with you. We want you to have that. We'd be kind of hypocritical if we had a sermon about the value of studying Scripture and then didn't help people get Scripture. So if you don't own a Bible, feel free to grab one. But as you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to open this up with a quick word of prayer. So if you would, please pray with me. Father, we are grateful for your word. We have been given an incredible privilege to sit here and open your word and to read your word. I've been given an incredible privilege to stand up here and preach it. And God, we are grateful for that. We so often take your word for granted. We have dozens of Bibles, some of us sitting at home that are gathering dust. Meanwhile, there are people across the world who, as Joshua mentioned, are panting for your word, who would give anything for your word. And so, God, I pray this morning that we will fall more in love with your word. Some of us may need to fall back in love with your word. I pray that you'll allow us to do that. God, we love your word, not just because it's interesting, not just because it's 
fun to read, not just because there are great stories in there. All that is true, but ultimately we love your word because this is your primary means of communicating with us. This is the primary means of knowing what your son Jesus did for us on the cross. And God, I pray that we will never get tired of reading about that. We love you. We praise you. We lift this time up to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, some sermons, the way you write a sermon is you want to basically start developing a case in the beginning of your sermon, and you want to do that in the middle of the sermon too, and you don't want people to really understand the main idea or the main gist until the very end. You want to spend the first 25 minutes building up and building up and building up and building up, and then right in those last 30 minutes, you just want to slam it home. And that's the thing that you want people to leave with. Well, I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to put it all out on the table from the very get-go. The main idea of this sermon is this. Studying Scripture is absolutely essential when it comes to spiritual growth. Period. There are other things that are important to spiritual growth. Don't get me wrong. There are things that matter, but you simply can't replace studying Scripture. You can't find another spiritual discipline or another way of doing things to replace it. It's just that valuable. It's just that meaningful. In fact, N.T. Wright says this about the study of Scripture. He says, It is vital that ordinary Christians read, encounter, and study Scripture for themselves, in groups, and individually. I would agree with that. It is vital. It is essential. And most Christians would probably agree with that, too. A lot of us would sit here and say, you know what? Yeah, reading the Bible is really, really important. Reading the Bible is a big deal for those who profess their faith in Christ. Yet, studies seem to indicate that maybe we're more bark than bite when it comes to our value of Scripture. I recently read a study reported on the Huffington Post that said that those who believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that the Bible is perfect, that it is without flaw in any shape, form, or fashion, those who believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, 45% of them have read the Bible outside of Sunday morning in the past year. 45%. Those who believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, so maybe not using that inerrant word because... There might be different definitions of what that is, and some people say it means this and that, so you know what, I'm not going to use that word inerrant. I'll just say it's inspired. 46% of those people have read the Bible outside of Sunday morning. Those who believe the Bible is nothing more than a book of fables, 9% have read it outside of Sunday morning. Now you read that, and you think, okay, that sounds a little bit alarming. Less than half of the people who believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God read it outside of Sunday morning. Less than half of the people who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God read it outside of Sunday morning. That's a concern, and rightfully so. It should be a concern. However, the problem is not that we don't think the value of the Bible is up there. Eighty percent of Americans, roughly, believe that the Bible is the word of God in some sense. Whether it's inerrant, whether it's inspired, whatever, they believe it is the word of God. 80%. The problem is not that we don't think the Bible is important. The problem is that we just often aren't opening it. We say it's important. We say it matters. We give it lip service, but then outside of Sunday morning, it doesn't really play a huge role in our lives. 
That's something to be concerned about. So for that, as we look at what the Bible says about the value of studying it, let's dig into that Deuteronomy chapter 6 passage. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this passage is Moses speaking to God's people. The descendants of Abraham, the ones who Moses literally just led out of slavery in Egypt. They had spent hundreds of years under oppression and hundreds of years in this captivity and slavery, and Moses leads them out. And one of the first things that God does is he starts to introduce to them this law, these commands, these rules that will serve to set them apart from the people around them. They will serve to guide them, to direct them, and to really make them stick out like a sore thumb to those who don't worship the God of Abraham. And as he's introducing this law, Moses makes something really clear. He says that you are called to love God with everything you have, with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, every single ounce of your being. Love God with it. Love God with all you have, all you've been given, all you do. Find a way to love God. And then he gets even more specific. He says that these commands, this law that you're learning, that you're starting to understand, that I'm communicating to you, write it on your heart. Teach it to your kids. Talk about it when you sit at home. Talk about it when you walk around. Talk about it before you go to sleep. Talk about it after you wake up. Bind them on your hand. Bind them on your forehead. That word frontlets, in a, if you look it up, the idea of frontlets, it's basically this idea of these armbands or these headband-looking things. If you ever looked them up, they're kind of bizarre. They're a little bit weird if you see a contemporary Jewish person wearing them today. But the idea is that you have this armband, and there are four passages of Scripture that you keep in it pretty much at all times. And you have it with you for set times of prayer. You can either have it on your arm or you can go all the way and be a really holy person and put it on your forehead. And there's a little box that sits on your forehead. It looks pretty weird. But you have these four passages of scripture written on them. And the idea simply is this. Keep it close to you. Have access to it. Don't let God's law, don't let God's commands ever get too far away from you. Constantly have it on your mind. Constantly be looking to it. Constantly be shaped by it, is the idea. And then Moses says, write them in places where you see them. When you leave your house, you'll see that before you go. When you come home, you'll see it before you walk in. Your neighbors will see it. Those who live around you. It will be unequivocally clear that God's commands, that God's law matter to you. These commands, this word, never keep them far away from you. Immerse yourself in them. Because that is one of the many ways that you are called to love God with every ounce of your being. 
Now, you may be thinking to yourself, you know what? I've been in the church long enough. I get the drill. This is one of those sermons about how you're going to guilt me into reading my Bible more because I haven't read it enough and I'm a horrible person. And yeah, I know I don't really read it a lot outside of Sunday mornings and I feel bad about that. But I promise I'll be better about it if at least for the next week or so, maybe. This is not what that's about. This is not about guilting you into reading scripture. This is not about forcing the Bible down your throat. This is not about making you feel bad about how much you have failed in reading the Bible. That is not the idea at all. This isn't a guilt trip. For that, turn to Psalm 119, a passage that we read earlier in our service. Psalm 119 is a big psalm. There's a lot of verses to it, so I'm going to look a few verses earlier than what Joshua read. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Now, if this is one of those sermons about just guilting you into scripture, you're probably feeling pretty similar to Penelope right now. You're probably sitting there and you're thinking, I do not want to do this. But this is not about guilting you into reading scripture. That is not the idea at all. Look at the language that the psalmist uses in this passage. He says that God's law, God's commands, they are a lamp unto his feet. As he walks through life, as he walks through trials and struggles and success, God's law keeps him from stubbing his toe, keeps him from spraining his ankle, keeps him from leading on to the wrong path. It's a lamp unto his feet. It's a light unto his path. It helps him keep from getting lost. It helps him keep from taking wrong turns. That's the role it plays. But then he even says it's his source of life. As his enemies surround him, as he is severely afflicted, where does he turn? He turns to God's commands. He turns to what they would consider God's word. It's his heritage forever. It's the joy of his heart. You know, that doesn't sound like someone who's being guilted into reading God's commands. That sounds like someone who has given God's commands a chance. And they've truly experienced the incredible, life-giving, life-changing thing that it can be. This person does not read their Bible because they have a certain quota to meet or else their Sunday school teacher is going to get mad at them. This person reads their Bible because it truly is a source of joy. It truly is a source of life. And as a result, this person immerses himself in it. And you know, I truly believe that for the Christian person who is seeking to love God more, is seeking to know God better, is seeking to look a little bit more like Jesus and know God's grace and glory and power and justice and holiness more and more and more and more, studying scripture does not have to be a chore. It does not have to be something that you're guilted into. That's not the idea at all. It can be a source of joy. 
if you'll give it a chance. Finally, look to Mark chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Last main passage we're going to look at this morning. A scribe comes up to Jesus, and these scribes are arguing with Jesus, and one of them says, all right, Jesus, there are all these different laws in the Old Testament. There are all these different rules, all these different precepts. If there was one that we had to pick out, if there was only one that we could follow, if there was one that was more important than all the others, what would it be? Look at Jesus' answer in verse 29. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus echoes Deuteronomy 6, but he adds a little something. He adds one word. He doesn't just say love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He adds mind. And you can wrestle or think about, well, why would Jesus add that? What does he mean by adding the word mind? Does he just happen to add it for no real reason? Is there more real reason that he's doing it? Is there a more specific idea that he's trying to get at? We can debate that all we want. But if we're going to love God with our mind, what does that really mean? Well, a good place to start might be studying scripture. It might be studying God's commands, spending time in it, reading it, wrestling with it, reflecting on it, asking questions about it, spending time in the word. So Paul says we're called to be transformed by the renewal of our minds, that we're called to love God with our minds. And I truly believe that There's probably no better place to go to for your mind to be renewed, for your mind to be transformed than turning to Scripture, than turning to the Word of God, letting your mind and your heart just soak in God's Word. We know what study is. It's that wrestling. It's that asking questions. It's that spending time in it on a regular basis. You know, there are some days where you might spend time in Scripture, you might wrestle with it, you might read it, you might ask questions, and you're left more confused than you were before. And you come to Scripture thinking, you know what, I really need something inspiring, I really need something encouraging, and then you read some bizarre passage in the Old Testament, and you can't imagine what in the world this could possibly say to your life right now, to the things that you're dealing with in 2014. So why should we do it? Why should we study scripture? Well, from a very practical standpoint, a few things I want to mention. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, scripture is God's primary means of communication to us. Now, I'm not saying that God only communicates through scripture. There are other ways that God can speak to his people, other valid ways that God can speak to his people. But if you really want to hear from God, I would encourage you, open God's word. Can you hear from God by sitting on a park bench and looking at a beautiful scenery? Of course you can. But if I had to give you one way to do that, open God's word. It's his primary means of communicating with his people. And it truly is an honor and it truly is a privilege that the God of the universe, the one who created everything we see, he wants to speak to me and he wants to speak 
to you. That's a humbling, humbling thought. This word of God has the power to transform us. It can bring us more in touch with God's grace. As we read this word, we can become more and more in awe of what God has done for us, of how Jesus died for us, of the resurrection that did occur. It can truly change us more than we ever may even realize. Reading God's word, studying scripture, it can help us be more equipped to know the truth. You know, there are so many avenues of media these days, whether it's printed media or television or radio or social media, all these different forms of media, we get bombarded with tons and tons of spiritual sounding messages. We get on Facebook and we see something that has a little dash of the Bible thrown into it, and it sounds kind of nice, it sounds kind of good, it sounds kind of fluffy, and so we just throw our weight behind it and we endorse it. It has enough scriptural sounding words in it, so I guess I should agree with it. Well, here's the thing. Before we just buy into these spiritual sounding sayings that are thrown at us all the time, before we like that Facebook post or share that Facebook post or recommend that book or recommend that article, maybe we should turn to scripture itself and see what the Bible has to say on that topic, on that subject. That's the idea. It helps us to truly know the truth in a world where the truth is often made so foggy. And then finally, studying scripture helps us to be more equipped to share it and defend it. We live in a world that is skeptical of Christianity. A lot of folks are skeptical about the Bible. Thus, if we get into a conversation with someone who doesn't know Christ and they ask us, well, why do you believe that stuff? I mean, this sounds pretty bizarre. This sounds pretty outdated. Why would you put all your faith in this stuff? We better have an answer. We better know why we believe this stuff. Not just because that's how our parents raised us. Not just because we're used to the routine of going to church. But rather because we have searched scripture. And have come to these conclusions about God and about ourselves. And that word has changed us and molded us and shaped us. Those are just a few reasons why studying scripture can be valuable. But I also want to hit on a few reasons that we should not be studying scripture. Okay, so I'll throw out two. One reason that is not a good reason to study scripture is to gain God's approval. I'll just throw that out there. Many of us, if we've been in the church for long, we've been trained with this idea of I read scripture because that will help keep me out of God's doghouse. That will help keep me out of trouble. And if I don't read enough scripture, then all of a sudden God might strike me down with lightning and God might kill me. We do not read scripture to earn God's approval. We do not read scripture to get a leg up on favor with God. That is not the idea at all. We are saved by grace initially. We are kept saved by grace continually. Studying scripture is not about proving ourselves. It's not about earning good standing with God or improving our standing with God. That is not the idea at all. And then the second reason why we do not study scripture, we do not study scripture just to gain knowledge. We don't do it just to gain information that we can later regurgitate in a Sunday school class and sound really, really spiritual. That's not the idea at all. We don't do it to gain knowledge. I had a friend of mine in Bible college. He memorized the book of Acts. 
the entire book of Acts. He memorized 28 chapters of the Bible straight. And I remember thinking, that is insane. That is unbelievable. That's kind of concerning, actually, maybe even unhealthy. I mean, I know Moses said immerse yourself in it, but I mean, let's be real here. But here's the thing. Even though he knew the Bible from cover to cover, he was incredibly smart. He was a brilliant guy. He could be a real jerk. It's that simple. He knew a lot of information. He had a lot of knowledge. But the word of God did not seem to have really changed his mind or changed his heart. In that Mark passage, Jesus talked about the second greatest commandment that goes right along with loving God with all that you have is loving your neighbor. If studying the Bible is nothing more than getting smarter, being able to impress people with how much you know, and yet it isn't helping you to better love your neighbor, better serve your neighbor, along with better loving God, then we might be missing the point. We're called to love our neighbor as well, not just gain knowledge. So from a practical standpoint, why don't we study scripture? We think it's important. We think it's valuable. We have these words that we use to describe it. But why don't we do it? Why do we seem to take it so much for granted? Well, we live busy lives. Let's be real. You wake up early in the morning. You rush to work. You work through your lunch break while you're eating. If you get a chance to eat at all. And then you come home and you have responsibilities with kids or responsibilities with spouses or you have things to do around the house. You're pulled in all these different directions. By the time you've done everything you need to do, it's late and you just want to relax. You just want to chill. And your idea of relaxation is not sitting at a table and opening a book where the words are really, really small and you have a hard time understanding half of them. That's not your idea of relaxation. I get it. But here's the thing. I would encourage you, find a way to let Scripture shape your life. Find a way to be in it on a regular basis. Maybe that's not reading it for three hours a day, the way some people say they do. Maybe that's not even reading it for 30 minutes a day. Maybe it's having one sitting a week where you sit down and you open Scripture for an hour you sit, about, you sit on it and you reflect on it, you think about it, and then you spend the rest of your week chewing on that one thing that you read that one day that week. Maybe that's how scripture impacts your life. I would encourage you, find a way to bring it in. It's not going to be the same for everybody. Not everyone is going to have the same scripture reading routine. But every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should absolutely have it impacting our life in some way. Maybe you don't read the Bible because you feel inadequate. You think, you know what? I didn't go to Bible college. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have the benefit of those Sunday school teachers telling me all these stories and giving me that foundation to build upon. My parents didn't read it. I just don't feel like this is for me. I just don't feel like I'm capable of reading this stuff. Well, I'm going to recommend a few resources here to you in just a second. Maybe you think it's hard to understand. Maybe you don't know where to start. Do you start in Genesis? Do you start at the very beginning and read all the way through? Do you start in the New Testament? Do you start in the Old Testament? What comes next? What do you have to read second? What do you have to read third? Does it matter what order I read it in? Ugh! It doesn't have to be that way. It does not have to be that way at all. There are resources out there. And here's the thing. We in the church, we can often be guilty of standing up here and telling you to do something 
and then not giving you any help or any guidance on how to actually do it. Well, I don't want to do that today. So a few resources that I would recommend. Number one, get a good study Bible. This is a good option. This is a really great study Bible. You can find one of these for about 30 bucks online. Not super cheap, but not super expensive either. There are all kinds of charts and pictures and graphs and little essays that explain words that maybe you don't understand or explain difficult to read passages. Get one of these. Find one of these. It would be a great resource to you. There are also books that are very small. You can find them all over the place for 20 bucks, maybe even less, that introduce books of the Bible, that give you dates and give you people who played a role and how these books fit in context with other books of the Bible and all that stuff. Get one of those. It's a great resource for you to have. Another example, this is a book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. This is a great option if you wrestle with, well, how do I read this stuff? How do I interpret this stuff? How can I possibly understand this stuff? That would be a great place to start. You can find this book online for 10 bucks. Not very expensive at all. And then finally, one more thing. If you're in that boat of just not knowing where to start when it comes to reading the Bible, you've never actually tried to do this before, this big, intimidating task of reading all these pages all at once. Well, I would recommend something like this. This is called the E100 Challenge. This is something that we used at a church I was at previously. The idea is that there are five, you read five passages a week for 20 weeks. You don't read every single verse. You don't read every single chapter. But by the time these 20 weeks are over, you should have a good introduction to the main idea of Scripture, the big overarching narrative of Scripture. That'll be a good place to start, a good foundation to begin. There's even a kid's resource with all kinds of wonderful uh, pictures of Egyptians drowning in the Red Sea. It's great. Um, Maybe you're an adult and you would like this book because you would like to see pictures of people drowning in the sea. Um, That's up to you. Both would be good resources to have if you don't know where to start as you look to study Scripture and start this discipline. But here's the thing, what it all comes down to, if we're going to accomplish our mission of making devoted and maturing and multiplying followers of Jesus, studying scripture is absolutely vital. We don't do it to gain God's approval. We don't do it just to gain head knowledge and brag about how much we know about the Bible. We do it that God might communicate with us, that we would hear what God has to say to his people. We do it that it might transform us by God's grace that it will prune us and purify us and shape us in our hearts, in our minds, in our words, in our actions, all of these things. We do it that we might be even more in awe and more in touch with the grace that God has shown us, with the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that we might be reconciled back to the Father. We don't do it just to read it. We do it to be more in awe of what God has done for us. We do it that we might know the truth in a world where the truth is so varied, people say. And we do it that we might be able to share and defend the truth. You know, you can't have a sermon about the value of studying Scripture without 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. So as we close, I'm going to read that passage to you. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'm not trying to guilt you into this. We're not going to have a certain quota of how many verses you've read this past week in order for you to get in the doors next week. That is not the idea at all. 
But I'm asking you to give the Bible a chance. Give the word of God a chance. Give it a chance to be that source of joy, to be that source of life that the psalmist talked about. Because I guarantee you it will be well worth your time to better know the God who saved you. Let's pray. Father, as we mentioned, we are so often guilty of taking your word for granted, but at the same time, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to let your word play a central role in our lives, to reflect on what you've done for us, not just through feelings, not just through emotions, but rather through the message that you've given us. God, I pray that even though we're busy, even though we might be intimidated, even though it's scary sometimes, that we might truly start out on this venture. That we might do it together as a group of believers. That people will take advantage of looking to one another for help, of looking to one another for guidance, those who know your word better, that we might be a resource for those who don't. God, your word is powerful. I pray that we would truly let that power affect each and every one of us. I pray that we might become more and more in touch with what you've done for us as you've recorded in your word. Again, it is never too late to start. And I pray that we might start this morning falling in love with your word for the first time or falling back in love with it. God, we love you. We praise you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.